What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I am Mark DeVoe and welcome everyone. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. You know who you are. You're the people who sign up to our Patreon page and get lots of lovely goodies. And you're also those wonderful Academy members of the Bestseller Academy as well. We are very, very thankful to be here. And we thank you for showing up and listening again this week. We have a fun-filled, packed episode for you. But I must say, Mr. Stay, that was, in five and a bit years, the loudest, most bombastic hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment <laughs> I've ever heard. It's brilliant. It? Sounds like it's been a good oh, week. The caffeine is kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it it has. Oh well, you if know, only, we've, you know, you know what I've I've the sort of week I've had, but I can't talk about half of it on the podcast because none of it's been announced is, yet. If if only people could be a fly on the wall to our pre <laughs> red light record button discussions on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, folks, if only you would know and hear the things going on <laughs> that we can't yet talk about, but you will hear because we always talk about it eventually, don't we? But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but there's some really good news that I heard about an audiobook that you've that that was part of something you've mentioned a few months ago wasn't it <laughs> well this is the wonderful LJ Ross uh wonderful who's been on the podcast we need to get her back on um yeah, she, she published this anthology everyday kindness which is a collection of uplifting tales to brighten your day and all proceeds from this go to shelter and the hardcover came out I think in November, over 50 stories, some amazing authors and me. Um, so, you know, you got, got LJ Ross, CL Taylor, all sorts of brilliant, brilliant. Queeve is in there, Queen McDonald. Um, and I knew there was an audiobook coming. Uh, and I just thought, oh, maybe they'll just get a handful of, you know, narrators in and uh, they'll, um, they'll you know, talk, you know, they'll get them in and do them, you know, a mixture of men and women or whatever. Hmm. Never, ever underestimate LJ Ross because she messaged me earlier today. She said, do you want to know who's narrating your, your audio book? And I said, oh, oh yes, please. Uh, you know, th- that'd be, be lovely. Um, <laughs> and she waited before she replied, you know. And then she said, Julie Waters. What? Dame Julie, <laughs> Julie, Julie bloody Waters. Waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Which, my gosh. Now, now. I was, I'm still tingling <laughs> from, from, from the fact that oh my goodness. the legend that is Julie Waters. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, let's talk about Julie Waters. I mean, Shirley Valentine. Rita, uh, no, not Shirley Valentine. She Wasn't was educating, no, that was Why? Pauline Collins. Oh, um, dear. Educating Rita, of course, uh, you know, and to, to uh, I mean, working with Victoria Wood as well. And Victoria yeah. Wood, those, 
uh, her sketches were one of the was one of the first books I got, and I read and studied the sketches and her comedy and everything. Um, but and for younger viewers, of course, she's Mrs. Weasley in the Harry Potter films. Right. Yeah. Um, now I have some history with Julie actually um, <laughs> because when I was at Orion, we published her autobiography. And I got to meet her a couple of times. But I've been heckled by Julie Waters. Uh, this is There's not many people that can say that. No, quite. Uh, it was the, I think the 2004 sales conference at the Grand Hotel in Eastbourne. And I was quite new at Orion. I wanted to make a good impression. And uh, they said, oh, we're going to have a quiz. They're going to have dinner and they're going to do a quiz. Would any volunteers... Everyone stepped back and I was left standing. So I thought, oh, okay, right, I'm going to do a quiz. I'd love a quiz. It went on far too long, far oh, too, far no. too long. You know, everyone's eating dinner and, and I'm halfway through it. I'm thinking I've completely misjudged this. You know, that dread. <laughs> my stage. career is over stage, officially. I've completely misjudged this. One of the people oh. who was supposed to be helping me was completely drunk. You know, when <laughs> I sort of looked to them for help and they looked at me and, you know, when someone's so drunk, one eye goes that way and another eye goes that way. <laughs> so oh I was my like, gosh. they're no help. So anyway, I, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. And I picked up, I picked up one of the cards to answer the, you know, and it was the penultimate round or whatever. And the question started. I said, how long? And a voice from the darkness came out and said, not as long as this bloody quiz. <laughs> and it was Julie Walters got the biggest <laughs> laugh of the night. And, and Michael Palin was in the audience. I was just oh like, oh, God. kill me now. Kill me now. <laughs> but she, we spoke about it after. She was completely lovely. And oh, now she's lovely. reading my story. Two Chickens for Laura Long Arms is the title of the story. And now she's read Dame, Dame Julie Bloody Walters to give her a full title. Um, That's unbelievable. A yeah. BAFTA Award winner. I'm just looking yeah. at her creds here. Like two International Emmy Awards, BAFTA Fellowship, Golden Globe. Bonkers. She's a legend. She's a, she, she is. is a genuine she, national and, treasure. And you know what's so great about, I mean, we grew up with her, didn't we, really? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's one of my, I know, I mean, shout out to my mum here, but she's like, I think she's Julie Walters' biggest fan. Um, but yeah, we grew up with her. And, and the thing about Julie Walters is that she had the most, she has the most incredibly unique voice. I mean, you would know, you would pick her voice out in amongst thousands. And she's going to be doing your audiobook. I, I can't believe it. She, look, has look. she done audiobooks before? Do you know? Is yes, it, she has. She okay. has. She has. And she did her own uh, for the autobiography right, as well. Of course. But this, yeah. this, as, as I said, she's not the only voice on there. So we've got people like Gemma Whelan on there. People will know from Game of Thrones, uh, Jonathan Keeble, uh, Catherine Drysdale, uh, Richard Armitage. Who was in right. you know the Hobbit films, uh, of course, yeah. you know. So, um, so uh, Eva Pope, me. some really, really good names in there. But, but, but I, I got, I got Julie Waters. You got Julie so, Waters. <laughs> Crazy. I'm just looking at some of the films that she's done as well. For people, I mean, we've got Mamma Mia, Paddington, yeah. Yeah. The Secret oh, yeah, Garden, yeah. Calendar Girls, Mary mm. Poppins Returns, obviously Educating Rita, and the other, the second uh, Mamma Mia, and just goes on and on. All the Harry yeah. Potter movies. Uh, and yeah, Romeo and Juliet, Buster. Do you remember that one with Phil Collins? Phil Collins, yeah. yeah oh my yeah. goodness! Like I said, she's a legend. She's she an absolute legend. legend. So yeah. So oh. so that that's that was a nice bit of news that's that I can actually talk about today. News. So yeah, absolutely <laughs> really fantastic. Good. Holy moly! Yeah, Congratulations! Yeah, and how exciting is that going to be? I mean, that's going to the profile of that book is going to you know it's a it's a it's a really interesting thing that um, LJ's done because you know obviously you put the book out. It's a bit like music where you kind of. You put out you put out the single and then you you drop a remix 
you know, a bit later on to kind of re-energize everything. And I think not putting out the audiobook at the same time as a, as, as the actual book is a, actually probably quite a smart move because you get to do two individual events and you can, you know, PR those events. You can get the buzz to talk about it on podcasts again. I mean, all of those good things that happen. So, yeah, is that fairly normal? When, when, uh, no. all your books, is it usually no. the same time or I mean, sometimes even before? Audi- from when I worked at Orion, Audible got a bit miffed if you had a different publication date for the audio because right. they yeah. you know, well, it's, they said it's our customers like, want it day and day. You know, you know what? It's the same day. Back in the day, it's a bit like when we used to get movies, DVDs six months, you know, yeah. after the yeah, people yeah, yeah. in the US did. Yeah. Do you remember that? It was like, yeah. God, you look at them, you look at all the great films coming out in America and you'd be like, yeah, we might get to see those maybe in like nine or 12 months. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be so, out on DVD before they even arrived in the cinema sometimes, <laughs> wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Craziness. So, you know, it's, uh, I, but I think... I mean, I wonder if Louise LJ has been planning this for months and probably said to them, look, it's going to be worth the wait. We've got some amazing people narrating this. Oh. So, uh, wow. so, yeah. yeah. Well, watch this yeah. space. We'll have to see how that goes. When's it coming out? Do you know? Uh, February 7th. I've just pre-ordered it, actually. Hang on. <laughs> February 17th, I think. Uh, let's have a look. Yes, yeah, 17th of February. Yes, excellent. On my phone. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> well, we'll give that another plug, and congratulations to LJ Ross for for making that happen. That's quite That's incredible. Phenomenal. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. brilliant, brilliant stuff, Mark. Well, let's dive into this week's amazing guest. Tell us a bit about Shona Kinsella. Shona Kinsella is oh, she's wonderful. Uh, she's the author of Epic Fantasy, the Vessel of Caladine series, Dark Scottish Fantasy, Petra MacDonald and the Queen of the Fae. She's also a British Fantasy Award shortlisted author for her book The Flame and the Flood. Uh, and uh, she's now turned her hand to non-fiction with her forthcoming book Outlander and the Real Jacobites, which is coming from Pen and Sword at the end of March, which explores the real history behind Dinah Gabaldon's Outlander series. So we talk about researching history in a lockdown, the highs and lows of crowdfunding, getting the rights back to your books, and that moment when you get some news that leaves you standing speechless in your kitchen staring at the phone, which happened to me today. <laughs> Sounds like a book called Back to Reality, isn't it? <laughs> the kitchen's brilliant stuff. So let's dive in and listen to the lovely Shona Kinsella chatting with Mark. Shona Kinsella, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm tickety boo. Thank you for asking. Uh, I'm very excited about your your new book. Uh, we're going to go through your whole career. This is this is a wonderful listeners. You're going to love this because there's this is. Um, this is the the tale of someone who is gonna write is gonna write whatever whatever fate throws at them and um but a fantastic very exciting new book and this is non-fiction you've written fiction before but this new book is non non-fiction outlander and the real jacobites scotland's fight for freedom uh and of course outlander we all know because of diana gabaldon's uh epic books and the tv series that that came from that although I mean, I I was lucky enough to have tea with Diana Gabaldon uh, a few years ago because I was I worked for one of her publishers and she was telling me the whole thing was inspired by seeing Fraser Hines on Doctor Who and his kilt. Uh, so you know, I know she's done a lot of research into it, but you know, she's not a Scot. Uh, the historical accuracy it's it's there, but obviously it's a fantasy. Yeah. Here you're telling us the real story. So tell her tell us about this new book. Sure. So um, just round about the start of the lockdown in 2020, <laughs> I got an email from 
uh, Chris Brown, who works for Pen and Sword Publishing, and they were looking specifically for fantasy authors or authors with a strong grasp of the fantasy um, genre to write about the history behind some sort of popular fantasy series. So Outlander sprung to mind because I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing at all you... to do with how handsome Jamie Fraser is in a kilt. <laughs> um, so, so, and the Jacobite history, the, that period of Scottish history is really fascinating to me. Um, it was a real sort of turning point for S- Scotland's political landscape. So, so I said, sure, I can do that. <laughs> I can write a book about Scottish history. And then <clears throat> I imagined myself going off on research trips all around the country and, you know, visiting the National Archives and um, lots, of, uh, lots of historic landmarks and what have you. And then we spent most of 2020 in various forms of lockdown, so I didn't get to do very much of that stuff. And I had to do the vast majority of my research online. Um, but we have wonderful, wonderful archivists at places like the National Archives um, and Historic Scotland who are digitising a lot of these materials. So I was able to actually view letters between Bonnie Prince Charlie and his father, King James. Oh, wow. Um, online and uh, the memoirs of some of the key players like Lord George Murray and Lord Elko these were high-ranking Jacobites that were with the prince all through his campaign. Um, these things have all been digitised and are available to read online. Anyone can go and read them, and it's so Brilliant. exciting. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. Do, do send us a link to that, and we'll put a link in the show notes if people want to dig into that. Um, how aware were you of this period of history anyway? Because I went to school in England. They only teach us about World War One and World War Two when we won. You know, they don't teach us when the, the English were badly behaved with the Redcoats and, uh, you know, in various parts of the world. So how aware were you as a Scot of this, this period of history anyway? Well, so our teaching at school is similar to, your, to yourself in England. You know, we get... Um, the two world wars. <laughs> and the World Cup final, it. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I I didn't learn much about it at school, but I've always had uh, just a background interest in Scottish history. Um, and as did my parents. So I visited lots of old buildings throughout my childhood as my parents dragged us around castles and museums and things like that. Uh, so it just kind of seeped in <laughs> over time. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's... Bonnie Prince Charlie, um, certainly his memory sort of lives on very much in the romantic um, imagination of Scotland. Uh, so I, I was quite aware of him, not quite so much aware of how he came to be rebelling in the first place. <laughs> you know, the, the, the circumstances around that were new to me when I started researching it. And what's it like working with, you You know, you've worked with various fiction publishers. Here you're working with Pen and Sword, who are, you know, one of the best military history publishers out there. They they really know their stuff with this. You, you spoke about online resources and stuff like that. Were they able to help to sort of guide you as a first time, you know, historical uh, nonfiction writer? What sort of help and assistance did they give you? Um, they didn't help so much with the research. Like I found a lot of things on my own and went to them and said, this is what I'm I'm using. And they said, fab, <laughs> you know, right. that's, <laughs> that's great materials that you find so great. Um, 
the thing that I, I was most anxious about was getting the tone right. So they didn't want a really dry academic text. This is very much a history for the layperson book, um, which is part of the reason that they didn't want an academic to write it. You know, they wanted, um, they wanted a different perspective on it. So, so I was nervous about the tone. And at one point I sent a few chapters to my commissioning editor there, Claire Hopkins, and said, you know, I don't know if I'm just messing this all up. <laughs> and she, she came back and was like, I need more. This is great. <laughs> so, so they were really supportive, like in that that process. And, you know, because of my because of my inexperience writing that type of book before I was quite uh nervy, <laughs> anxious that I wasn't gonna do it. Justice, it's such a um, such a big topic. But they were really helpful and kind <laughs> to up with me. And and having been through that process and it being very different to writing fiction, would you would you do it again? I think if the opportunity came up to write about something that I was really fascinated with, then yes, I would definitely do it again. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. Let's talk about uh, your fiction career, which uh, absolutely fascinates me. You write the same genre as me. You write fantasy. And we share a publisher. We're both Unbound authors. Uh, now, listeners, you, long-term listeners will know all about Unbound. You know, it's crowdfunding. I found it really hard work. Um, <laughs> it's it's like going around begging for money for <clears throat> nine, you know, nine months or whatever. Um, so uh, it's it can be tricky, but you get a beautiful book at the end of it. It gets into shops. It gets online and all sorts of places. And I'm very, very proud of of the book that I, uh, The End of Magic, the, bo- the book I wrote. Uh, but you got there before me, uh, Shona. You wrote Ashel Rising, uh, which was published by Unbound in 2017, I believe. Can you tell us about the events leading up to that and the whole crowdfunding experience and how you found it? Sure. So, so it was all a bit of an accident <laughs> to begin with. I hear that a lot with Unbound. <laughs> um, I had I had not long finished writing the first draft of Ashley Rising, and. Um, Unbound were holding a Twitter pitching hour and I just kind of stumbled across I followed them on Twitter I was really interested in what they were doing Um, I thought the model was really interesting Uh, so I came across this pitching hour and I thought I saw them giving feedback to people you know so they were saying well you know that's interesting but how do you make this stand out more or or your your one sentence pitch doesn't tell us what the story's about, kind of thing. So they were giving useful feedback. So I thought, well, I've not I've not tried writing any pitch or anything like this before. Ashiel Rising was the first novel I'd ever written. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll pitch them, and you know, it's obviously going to be a no, but they'll give me some feedback and help me <laughs> refine <laughs> refine my pitch. And I pitched them, and he said, "Great, send us the manuscript." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I panicked because it was just the first draft <laughs> never ever send your first draft so so I emailed them the manuscript and with a note saying this is just the first draft and right. I know that the beginning's not quite right these are the changes that I plan to make um, and sent it off and again you know I assuming it was going to be a thanks but no thanks but I was hopeful that I might get some feedback yes <laughs> like, you know, like the edits you're planning are, yeah. are the right way to go or um, or are not the right way to go. 
Um, but they came back and said we'd really like to publish it. <laughs> <laughs> How inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> So it was it was just the biggest shock. I remember um, I was standing in my living room, the email came straight to my phone and I opened it and I couldn't even speak. <laughs> <laughs> my sister, my sister was there and I just showed her the phone and she read it and then she started screaming, You're like, Yeah, hey, you're getting published. <laughs> and I was just oh, I was <laughs> totally unexpected. Um, <laughs> So, and then crowdfunding, of course, that's quite the endeavour. It is, yes. So, how, how did you tackle that? Uh, with reckless abandon. <laughs> 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 um, so, initially they said that we had three months to raise the... Yes, that makes well, yeah. The, the crowdfunding thing, it was 90 days. Um, although I think they're actually quite, they're quite good about extending that time mm. if you're making progress. Um, but I was so focused on the 90 days. So every day I was posting about it on, you know, Facebook, on Twitter. Up until that point, I wasn't even really on social media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Other, you know, I was on Twitter, but not very active and I wasn't on Facebook at all. Um, so I set up there and <laughs> started posting every day, posting about not just like, please give me your money. I would post snippets of Ashel, um I was at that time doing the edits that I knew it needed. <laughs> so I would, you know, take out whatever a wee section from what I was working on that day. Um and I blogged about the process. Um I blogged about about how I came to write the book in the first place. I offered uh short stories, exclusive short stories as rewards. Um, I harassed my family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a few beatings at local libraries and things like that. Right, brilliant, um, brilliant. And I got there. I I raised the funding on day eighty-eight. Nice. So, <laughs> Time to spare. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was. It, it was just such an emotional thing, you know, knowing that so many people offered their support. Yeah. It was just, it was wonderful, really touching. And I mean, you've done it yourself. Yes. So you know what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, like I said, you, you do get a gorgeous book at the end of it. And what was, uh, now, one of the things we hear a lot from, um, from Unbound Authors, in particular me, I'm the first one to say, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I don't have to do it again. It's uh, it's it's that thing I've I've compared it to you know you you um if you work in an office there'll be someone who does a marathon and then you will sponsor them and then a month later they come back to doing another marathon and another five k run and everything and, and eventually you know people's goodwill starts to uh, to wither a bit so it can be tricky the second time round did you have a go second time round and how did that pan out for you I did so Ashiel Rising is the first book in a trilogy. And I tried crowdfunding Ashiel Fallen, which is book two. And I kind of had hoped that I would have uh, found enough readers through the first book that they would pledge for the second book because mm. they would want to find out what happened next, which certainly was the case with some of the people yeah, came forward with me. Um, but I think a lot, of, a lot of the just readers that I had 
acquired, you know, rather than people that I personally know. Yeah. Um, they were just like, I'll buy it when it's in the shops. <laughs> or, like, you know, why would I pledge £20 for it now when I can get it for two ninety nine when it's an ebook on Amazon? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've, they've, yes, they learn, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and yeah, yeah. you know to be fair, Shona, that is not an uncommon story. Uh, I think in the, in the crowdfunding world, uh, you know, a second book can be can be really really tough. Um, but then yeah. the next year, I saw that you published uh, in a flash, which is a collection of flash fiction. Is this the sort of thing you were doing before Ashell Rising came out, or was it something you were doing at the time? Um, I was sort of doing it alongside. So I had set up a blog. Um, not long before I started crowdfunding and then I used it quite actively while I was crowdfunding out for Ashy Horizon and one of the things I did on the blog was Flash Friday so I wrote a flash fiction piece on a Friday um, or every other Friday I think it was Um, and people seemed to really enjoy those that was the most popular day on the blog for traffic you know most people came on a Friday and that was the most popular post so I put together a collection of them and stuck it up on Amazon. Um, and, you know, if you, I do almost no marketing and it still sells. So Brilliant. <laughs> my favourite kind of book. People enjoy something they can read in five minutes. <laughs> Brilliant. Fantastic. And then following that, uh, you um, sign up with Fox Spirit Books and you publish two books with those. There's Petra MacDonald and The Queen of the Fae and The Flame and the Flood, which is a British Fantasy Awards nominee. I'm just going to salute you there. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us about the shift of Fox Spirit and and those two books and, and how they worked out for you. Okay, so I wrote Petra MacDonald and the Queen of the Fate uh, late 2017 while I was still writing Ashiel Falling. Um, I actually stopped writing Ashiel Falling to do Petra. Um, Fox Spirit have been, there's like a, wish list market for me because I love right. the work that they're yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always they post really interesting on the edges things. Um work that plays with tropes and ways yeah. that are unfamiliar to us and things. So I've always been quite keen published with Fox Spirit. And around about the end of September 2017, I found out they were having an open submissions month for nice. October. <laughs> And I had nothing to submit. Right. <laughs> Again, a familiar listeners will be very familiar with this. <laughs> but I was determined that I wanted something in Fox Spirit. I've been publishing novellas for years. Right. Um, and that's I really enjoy working in that length. I think you have to be really kind of to the point, very tight with your prose to get a, a whole story in at that length. Um so I challenged myself to write a novella in 30 days and I did. I got up at like 5 a.m. every morning to write for an hour before my kids got up. Um, and I wrote the full thing in 22 days and then that gave me eight days for uh, feedback from beta readers and some tweaks. And I submitted it on the last day of October, which was the last day of the open submissions period. Wow! Stop everything. There's so much to unpack. It. We we love stories like this. I mean, you know, our podcast started with you know not thirty days. We gave ourselves a year, a year to write a novel. But you write a novella in thirty days. I mean, it's very nano I, I guess. But so 
did you so you're getting up at the crack of dawn before the family is up were you targeting yourself with a word count every day and did you have an idea of what you wanted to write or were you just pantsing the whole thing or or outlining I had a really rough idea um so there had been earlier in the year there was a call for a uh, rebellion publishing we're looking for people to do work for hire stuff mm. And I had come up with an idea for that that I then didn't go on to write, but I had this idea about um, a Scottish woman uh, who lives on an island, paints and things, and she um, she uses her art to connect with her gods. So she paints while in trance and she receives a message from the gods that there's a child in trouble and she has to go off and deal with it all. Brilliant. Um, so I had, that was about as much of it as I had at the start of the <laughs> at the start of my 30 days. Um I gave myself a challenge to write about a thousand words a day. Right. It's a novella sitting around about 30,000 words is a reasonable yep. Yep. length. Um some days I wrote a bit more, some days a bit less. Um but it came in at the end 27,000 words in 22 days. So so obviously a bit more than a thousand words a day average data. And not only that, you left yourself eight days for an edit. Uh, well, not only that, feedback from beta readers. I mean, I've got great beta readers, you know, and I'll drop them a line and they'll be like, lovely, I'll read this in a couple of weeks. Is that okay? Whereas you'd be going, no, <laughs> I need you to read this now. <laughs> did you did you queue them up? Were they were they in on the in on the 30 days thing? Did they were they all prepped yeah. and ready to go? Yeah, I had a few friends. Well, I posted on uh Facebook first at the start of the month and said, you know, I'm writing a thing that has to be in by the end of the month. Are any of my friends free? Will you be free in the last week of the month to read a novella with a day or two turnaround? Wow. Um, and a couple of people said, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Because <laughs> that's that's the great thing about the writing community, though, isn't it? We all help yeah. each other if we can. So, yeah. um, so I had people who were quite keen to to see me. Complete it, I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> <a> crazy challenge. <laughs> so that that was the first book, Petra MacDonald and the Queen of the Fay. I assume you had a bit more time to work on the Flame and the Flood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did that work out? Um. So that one. I saw someone on Twitter talking about um, how they would really like to see more uh, industrial settings in fantasy. So, you know, like fantasy is very commonly set in the medieval period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> same old, same old. Yes, guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and someone was speaking about how they would really like to see more industrial fantasy. So I was kind of thinking, well, what makes something fantasy? Like what's, what are the key elements of a fantasy story. And I thought, magic, really. <laughs> it's really, really hard to have fantasy without magic or um, alternate races, you know, like elves and goblins and mm -hmm. things. So I thought, well, industrial, how could you do an industrial fantasy then? So you've got industry and magic. How does that fit together? So then I started to think about factories and magic. And and capitalism and how would capitalism interact with magic in an industrialized way 
So, I mean, it's going to enslave magic users, yeah. isn't it? It's and not going to go magic. well, is it? You know. No. <laughs> <laughs> so then I thought, so I thought about how um, magic users in, in the Flame and the Flood, they have an affinity for a particular natural element. So it might be wood, maybe fire, water. Um, and they can magically uh, influence that element, make it grow, um, shape it, uh, make it, you know, like water, they could make it run the wrong direction or run fast. So how would factories use that? So they're going to enslave the magic users because they're uh, able to do things that normal laborers can't do and then use them really badly. But also in this society, you've got like an upper class. So the upper class, their magic users become artisans and right. are well paid and lauded all over the world for their uh, artistry, whereas the lower class magic users are accused of crimes, whether they committed them or not, and then forced into slavery in the factories. And my main characters are people who run an underground railroad to sneak the slaves out of the city. Right. <laughs> so I, I came up with that in about a day. Right. And then um, I wrote the novella in about, about 45 days. Wow. You don't muck about, <laughs> do you, Shona? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And then you're a British Fantasy Awards nominee for that book. Tell us tell us how that came. Was that you standing in the kitchen staring at your phone again, unable to speak? Was it another one of those moments? <laughs> Oh, it's even worse. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> when the news came through, I had COVID at the time oh. and I was in bed really, really ill with COVID. I was like in the first few days of it and I was really ill, high fever, uh, drifting in and out of consciousness and what have you. And an email came through to my phone and um, because I'm on the British Fantasy Society Committee, so at that point it was as the editor of the FS Horizons, their fiction publication, so the committee get the award shortlist a few days before it goes live. Um, so the award shortlist came through to my phone with a, and, you know, very special congratulations to our own Shona. And I was like, what for? <laughs> <laughs> and I had to read the thing about three times before I saw my own name on the shortlist. <laughs> and then I thought it was a fever dream. <laughs> because I was so ill. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all emailing me saying congratulations I was like it's not real it's not. <laughs> so it took a few days for that to say I don't blame you I do not blame you oh fantastic and congratulations on that <clears throat> I mean the thing with being an awards nominee is they can never take that away for you it's just amazing now we know what's coming next uh, with Outlander and the real Jacobites it, the Ashell Rising was, was going to be the first of a trilogy uh, I noticed there are beautiful covers up on your website. It's one of these things where with Unbound, I think you have to wait five years till you get the rights back. Uh, is it is it a question of waiting until that happens and then uh, working on books two and three? Um, I got the rights back this year. So this wow. was year Great. five right. um, since Ashley Rising was published. So I got the rights back and... Um, and the very nice people at Grimbold Books are going to publish the entire trilogy <laughs> so early next year. So um, basically, they've been waiting for me to finish writing book three. Um, Ashiel Rising will be re-released in January. Ashiel 
polling will be out around about March. And then Ashiel Soaring, which is the final book in the trilogy, will be released in June. That's amazing. Now, you're saying next year we're recording this in December, so that's uh, Ashiel Rising will be January 2022, is that right? Yes, that's right. Ace, fantastic. So listeners, by my reckoning, looking at our schedule, should be out now. Grab a copy, grab a copy now. Um, Shona, it's been an absolute delight speaking to you, and it's an incredible career. And I think you are just getting just getting warmed up, just getting started. <laughs> so I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, folks, Outlander and the Real Jacobites is out there for pre-order probably, or it might be out now, whatever. There's a Go to Shona's website, shonakinsella.com. All the, all the buy buttons and pre-order buttons are there. Go find it there. Shona, thank you so much for speaking to us today and hope to speak to you again real soon. Keith, thank you. Wow. I tell you what, the more I hear about this crowdfunding journey, the more I... I think about just what an incredible achievement it is to get to the other side of it. It's oh, quite cracking. a phenomenal undertaking, isn't it? It is. And, um, I mean, we've got a thing in our uh, social media at the end where one of our um, uh, one, one of our BXP team has just, you know, she's now packing books for her crowdfunding uh, as she's Kickstarter campaign. So we'll talk about that later. But it's uh, to do to do one is hard. To do a second is incredibly hard. So I salute anyone who gets through that. And it, it takes a certain kind of um, uh, not shamelessness, determination. No, to get I it think done. determination <laughs> and belief as well in your book. Mm. And but also, I think you're right. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to do it, and and, mm. and it takes an even different kind of person to be able to kind of repeat that process. I think because it's something that takes a lot of wind out of yourselves. I think in terms yeah. of the, it's so intense. Because I have done some crowdfunding. Um, I've done a number of crowdfunding projects. You know, in and around. Uh, I mean, in some ways, I guess we kind of crowdfunded Jen's book, the, the very last monster book, but it, we didn't yes, do it with a with a deadline and a ticking clock. I mean, there was a deadline, obviously, to order the book, but it wasn't kind of like up there with, you know, it's that kind of, it's that will we make it or not type pressure, I think, the, the, the pressure cooker, which is the real challenge for a lot of people. Mm. And it's very stressful. And I think, um, you know, having done it in music a few times with a number of different artists, I've noticed that, you know, you have to take a bit of time to recover Afterwards, yeah. it's kind of like yeah. the equivalent of doing NaNoWriMo, but fundraising in some ways, isn't it? That's just a very good analogy. Yeah, you've got to do a certain amount every day. I, I yeah. sort of targeted myself uh, at least one, um, you know, new donation per day. And, right. Uh, because if you don't, you'll, you'll you, you again, it's about keeping up momentum. You've yeah. got to keep, and- keep that money coming in. And the other thing is, it's just a natural law that happens with crowdfunding in that you get a massive amount of interest out the gate and you have this big the serotonin yeah, yeah. hit of like, God, blimey, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm like 20% or 40% to my target. And then tumbleweeds for like everything from like day three <laughs> to probably like, you know, the last eight hours or maybe the last day or two. And even Shona kind of confirmed that by saying, you know, it, it, she managed to close it. I think it was the day before, wasn't it? So there is just this natural natural thing that happens and it is based around the incredible effect of scarcity and deadlines our world yes. is driven we've said this many times before folks but here's a link because you know you can use this when you write your book it's not just about crowdfunding but if you create a deadline if you do a, a dream declaration on the podcast for example you know you're in essence you're tapping into the power of deadlines because people don't act until 
you know, the sale ends in, in you know, must end in two hours. It's like every yeah. single shop in the world, every bed shop in the world uses it continuously, 24-7, every day of the year. Sale, yeah. you know, must end Friday. It's the same thing, and it makes us act as human beings. It, we are hardwired. We are hardwired to scarcity. But it's a bit of a rocky ride when you're the person crowdfunding that book and you're looking at the figures thinking, it's not going to happen. Mm. Right, about five days before, four days before, it's like... What did you feel like when, when did yours close? Did it, did, when you did End of Magic, did it click? Do you remember how soon it, sh it, it got funded 100%? Because you, you know, I'll, I'll have to put a link in uh, the show notes to a blog that I did because uh, it was fairly early-ish. Um, and, and then I, I went beyond the, the, uh, yeah, the, the stretch target. goal. So you can, you right. Can, yeah, you can order more. Um, but what I did, I, I had a, I had a spreadsheet of basically everyone I knew. Mm. And then I'd have a column saying that they'd, you know, pledged. And then or I had a column. Or, you know, or, or completely disowned me. Or, you know, not replied. You really find I, out who your friends are when you do a crowdfunding campaign. <laughs> New phone, who dis? Um, and, you know, you'd, I, I'm, I sort of decided I would chase them three times. Uh, and I had a kind of a rotor where I'd just say, hey, how are you? Uh, just checking. And what would happen? Haven't spoken to you in 25 years. 25 but years. But just can you send me 20 quid? Um, yeah. And they're thinking, uh, God, did he did he lend me some money at the top shop back in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I, and then I'd chase it. And what would often happen, actually, is that people would go, oh, you know, I've been meaning to do this. Thanks for the reminder. So where you felt like you were harassing them, Yes. People have incredibly busy lives. And this idea yeah. that they're always sitting in front of a screen and being in a position where they can donate money. I, I did discover um, that doing it at the beginning of the month was quite a good idea because a lot of people have just got paid and they're a bit flush. Right. Whereas yeah. when you ask at the end of the month, they're skint, you know, or yeah. overdrawn or you know, worrying about this, that, and the other. So that, that helped. So one tip <laughs> maybe is to never do a crowdfunding campaign that ends the last couple of days or at the end of the month. Because you, you'd naturally think, Christmas. Oh, all before Christmas <laughs> or around the uh, 18th of January, which is, well, not the 18th, but the 17th, which was Blue Monday, they call Blue it, Monday, which is yeah, the day yeah, that everyone yeah. gets their credit card bills and the like. But the... Um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a tendency to think, you know, when you just sit down and plan a campaign, you think, well, I'll do it in May or I'll do it in October. So you'll naturally probably finish the campaign on the last day of the month because it's tidy. But, you know, from your experience, that's probably a very unwise thing to do. <laughs> like have it mid-month maybe yeah, yeah. Um, and catch people at either end, so to speak, when those two big moments are. But um, I'm curious though, listeners out there, if you're listening to this, say, oh, I've done crowdfunding. I keep craft, craft, I've, I've launched my career on crowdfunding. I've sold a million books crowdfunding. We want to hear from you because uh, we'd love to learn more about some of the maybe more unusual crowdfunding campaigns that have happened. Mm. Always curious about some kind of unique ways to crowdfund. But also if you're if you're a seasoned veteran at this, um, hey, maybe we'll get you on the podcast. Come on and chat about how, how you've succeeded with crowdfunding and how you get over that difficult second, third, fifth, tenth book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you do beyond asking friends and family? Because that that's the problem, isn't it? It's once you've kind of use that you alluded to that it kind of it kind of dry i mean you can only go so far right and i mean it's interesting you, you see uh comic books do incredibly well at this because there's uh there's a community of people who will 
crowdfunding has almost become a norm for independent comic book uh, artists and writers mm-hmm. uh, worldwide because they just can't get it off the ground otherwise. There's so few avenues to get, yeah. to get published. Board games as well. Now, a lot of people who launch board games on, on Kickstarter uh, mm. And again, there's a whole gaming community who are desperate for new material. Mm. Um, whereas books, as Shona said, uh, and I had exactly the same thing. She said she'd say to people, oh, "I've got a book coming out. Can you pay for it now?" And they'd say, "I'll pay for it when it comes <laughs> out." Why am I? I remember, um, yeah, you know, explaining to oh, how, however many people, you know, that no, no, no. But if you don't pay for it, it doesn't get published. And they're like, "Well, why isn't the publisher?" It's a crowdfunding thing. What's crowdfunding? So you know, you had all these hoops to jump through. Whereas yeah. if you have a community that's used to it, that uh, in fact, one of the, I remember one of the supporters. Um, for for end of magic um naomi and she's in the academy as well uh she she was telling me um because one of the one of the things i offered was lunch with me <laughs> and she she snapped it up oh, and we had a really, really yeah we had a really lovely sort of pub lunch we had a really nice chat and she was telling me that she you know she supports uh you know people who make handbags and make uh craft stuff and, mm-hmm. and and you know she's constantly supporting people on on kickstarter with different projects so there are communities out there i just think in the book world we're so entrenched in doing things the same old way that yeah. it's been it's 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 getting over getting over that hump to explain people no no we're doing it different this time yeah and sometimes when people hear we're doing it different they think oh there's a risk should i get involved you know? i think i think one of the big things as well is if you look at a lot of the um i always remember this one campaign i'm a i'm a beekeeper and i remember this kickstarter campaign i think it's one of the, it was the biggest kickstarter campaign ever i think at the time and it was um a guy who'd invented a new kind of beehive which which became super easy to use and you could use it in urban settings and people from thinking oh yeah i remember seeing that um i think one of the really interesting things about it is when you do a kickstarter around something like a product or a board game often the draw is is that you're you're kind of getting in and you're getting it before everyone else has got yeah. it you and it yeah, maybe yeah. maybe it'll be the only like it might be a limited edition and it might never mm-hmm. go out but with books we all know that books eventually get released and will go on amazon and do so it's Maybe maybe Kickstarter campaigns, um, crowdfunding. Maybe that's why people don't jump in and support things up front. That's a very um, good point. And and so that's a challenge I think that authors will have whenever they go into doing that. It's like I remember seeing um, Brandon Sanderson doing a Kickstarter campaign, um, but what he created was some incredibly amazing books. Did you remember seeing that as well? Yes, Mark? it was a really high end edition high of end. one of his books, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mental. And, and, and I think it was strictly limited, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he, I mean, what what did he do? He blew it out. The, like, I might be wrong here, but I think I'm going to look it up. I don't want to say. Oh, it, he he sort it of was, he, it was it was a ridiculous amount of money he raised, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he, he raised he raised everything he needed in you know in an afternoon, if I recall. Yeah, but it was <laughs> off the, it was off the charts. Here yeah. it is Way of the Kings tenth anniversary leather bound edition 29,778 backers <laughs> pledged you ready for this mark go on hang on a minute what did he actually want to raise <laughs> he, he wanted to raise 250,000 wow which is that's huge ambitious. i mean that's quarter of a million dollars Make a movie he raised you ready for this pledged 6.78 million to help bring this project to life <laughs> 6.78 million on a yeah. crap on a Kickstarter campaign, selling selling a tenth and year of Stormlight Archive with Brandon Saunders. These were 
you know, and, and even the, and the first pledge level was like $10 for the digital novella. Mm. Um, and that had 4,100 4, backers. But then you go down, you keep going. Like the, the one, the £50, the $50 one was the physical Stormlight novella, 3,400 backers. And then the same for the leather bound and swag, $200 pledge, 3,400 people. And it keeps going, like, you know, another $200 one, a $250 one. 5,000 people took the $250 pledge of a signed leather bound, right? But these are people, I think, a lot of these people are probably, uh, they, I mean, obviously they're huge fans, but I bet you there's, there's a few book collectors in there thinking, Oh, yeah, of course. Get some of, course. of that. But, you know, they're all punters, you know. I know, all, uh... and, it, and it keeps going. There's so many different variations of it, $300, $500, um, you know, 1,000 people, took the $500 like signed and numbered leather down. It's like yeah. just kind of minor variations, but 6.7 million. <laughs> like, and people say you can't make money out of books. I mean, now Ian, uh, uh, Brandon's obviously, obviously got a big following. So that He's helps. quite popular. He's I quite hear. popular. Yes. But you know, but, but <laughs> I'm thinking that he's had two, I think this is a direct campaign. I don't know if this went through a publisher. So no, I think he has his own publishing company. He's that big, but he's built. Uh, but he's um, had to build up a list of people, mm. right? He, I mean, that's the other thing about indie. You know, if you're an indie author, you should know who your readers are. And the problem with the problem with sites like Amazon is Amazon holds all that information to themselves. Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. So again, going back to what we've always talked about, you've got to start building your list. You've got mm. to somehow get people from inside your book that they bought on Amazon to your personal author mailing list. So that if you ever want to do something like Brandon's done, you too can raise 7 million bucks. But do you, do you know what I mean? It, but it shows the power of having that direct communication and that direct uh, relationship with your readers. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? Absolutely yeah, amazing. Now, amazing. the other thing that Shona talked about was rights. And I found that a very, very interesting subject because a lot of people don't really... I mean, especially newer authors, you don't really think about that. You're just excited to get your book out there. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you've worked in publishing for like 20 plus years, Mark. Rights is a big thing, isn't it? It's huge. It's one, it's one of the ways you make money, uh, by selling rights here, there and everywhere, which is why when I do a book deal, we tend to uh, – it's becoming more common. You tend to hang on to the film and TV rights because they're, you know, your agent or – me in my case you know we'll we'll try and sell them and, and get them out there a lot of publishers aren't terribly good at selling film rights although they all have you know a good rights department who will have contacts in that world uh you used to hang on to the audio rights but actually it's become a bit of a deal breaker that uh publishers like to get the audio for this for the same reason we talked about earlier they like to have that day and date thing and have some control over it otherwise it becomes a bit of a headache um but yes the rights are assigned to the publisher you you are essentially assigning the rights to the publisher for a limited period of time it's usually five years and then it comes up for renewal and what have you um there's often a little clause the thing that's changed all this of course is ebooks there's often a little clause where it used to say if the book is still in print you can't get your rights back so uh you know the publisher prints 100 copies print on demand and they retain the rights for that book but now with digital, sometimes it just it just you know 
that it never goes out. Of print. It's forever. I was going to say it's almost like a little POD cheeky... and stuff like that. Yeah, wow. so it's so you've um, got to be really careful about those types of contra- yeah, that's, contract that's, clauses, that's, right? That's why you need an agent to look out. Literally look get your clause yeah. into you, and you. Yeah. <laughs> but for, for generally, after five years, you can say, uh, you know, I want my rights back, and mm. and. Uh, you know, uh, do what Shona's done. Uh, now she mentioned that her trilogy is out. I've just had a look; it's not out quite yet. Um, so, but do check out her her website, um, shonakinsella dot com, for the latest news there. Mm. But yeah, it's something I've been thinking about with the end of Magic. You know, uh, I've still got about two and a half years to go. I think uh, in that once uh, that time is up, I'd like to take that back and do fun things with the end of Magic. And maybe write you know, sequels or what have you, mm. and self-publish those. So it's um, it's a thing that you know, a lot of authors don't realise. They think, oh, that publisher owns that book. But no, you are letting them have it for a short, limited period of time, and it's your precious thing, and you should think long and hard about it before you give it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I know a lot of the bigger publishers are absolutely desperate to retain as many rights as possible, and they're going around buying up the estates of dead authors as well interesting because they don't need to print these things anymore they can put them on a digital list and i mean you look at um the golan's gateway list which is uh most of it is dead science fiction authors which the families are happy to say yeah sure give us some money you can have all these books and then it gives them a stream of income and how does that, how does that work mark though because isn't there a certain amount after a certain number of years doesn't the copyright of an author's work it's going to public se- domain. In the UK, it's 75 years after the author's death. So, so are you talking about when before the 75 years is up? Yeah. A lot of these people were big in the 50s. They've only been, you know, might only have been dead 20-odd years or whatever. You mm. know? So, I mean, some of them still alive, bless them. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of these things where it's kind of, you know, the big publishers are vacuuming up all this content and the other thing is every now and then one of these old books hmm. gets made into a film or a TV yes. show or, uh, you know, like The Queen's Gambit. Um, that was, you know, massive Netflix limited TV series, you know, but that was languishing on a backlist for years and years. No one, really? no one promoted really? it. Do you know when that was written? Man goes to Google. We're going to consult consult Mr. Google. (laughs) But it is interesting, though, isn't it? Because I think, you know, I've always said this on the podcast, and people who've listened to me waffle on for a few years have have, have talked about the parallels between the music and the publishing industries. And exactly the same thing is happening actually to living artists right now. I mean, not a week goes by without somebody selling their entire catalogue. All of the, yeah. all of their kind of you know publishing rights to so like Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics, um, yeah, uh, David Guetta. I mean he's he's still he's not he's not that old. Uh, David Bowie's ones went recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and Bob they're going Dylan for it, Bob Dylan did it. They, yeah. they, and they're going yeah. for like you know um, uh, actually Bruce Springsteen was the one the most recent one about I think a week or two ago. And we're talking like you know. $250 million that they're getting for their, yeah. it's basically that classic thing, you know, do you win the lottery? Do you want to, you know, a lump sum now, or do you want it paid out over 20 years? And a lot of artists are cashing in now and, and they're looking at kind of lifetime value of royalties going forward. So it's fascinating how it's merging into the, into the publishing 19, world as well. 1983, the Queen's Really? Gambit. As long ago as that? Yeah. Yeah. And oh interestingly, gosh. um, 
the I've just, just looking at the wiki page, uh, the stage rights have been acquired now as well. So ah. you know, it's given it a whole new life. So this is the thing. Uh, you know, you don't make money with a book. You make money with a library. And you so do. you get as yeah. much as you, as you possibly yeah. can. Actually, Queen's Gambit as a stage production, that would be fascinating, wouldn't it? Because it's like literally recreating and the, the crowd are you. Because in the movie, yeah. there's always a crowd around the, the chess I mean, it was a brilliant. Well, I loved it. It's such a they've also series. They've also announced that there's a board game coming in and people are going, is really? it chess? An official, <laughs> an official Queen's Gambit. Excellent. Yeah, that's hilarious. Just chess, though. You oh, know? that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, though? If you can brand it Queen's Gambit, then it'll probably sell 10. Because, well, you know what's happened. I mean, chess, chess sets have gone through the roof sales. Those and guitars, apparently, during... During, and puzzles yeah, during yeah, yeah. COVID yeah. and books. Books as well are up because of COVID. Great news for all us authors right. out there. But it is interesting, isn't it? I think, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I love this kind of idea of a knock-on effect of things. Like you get a, a Netflix TV series and now suddenly yeah. all my kids are fascinated in chess again. I bought my son a, a book about chess and a chess yeah. set for Christmas because and he wanted <clears> a chess, chess.com subscription. Like, I mean, he's always been into chess, but it kind of re, it re, relit his kind of yeah, passion yeah, yeah. for it. So just be careful what you write about, mm. folks, because you, <laughs> you might be influencing <laughs> millions of people around the world with whatever you whatever you latch onto. It's fascinating. It has an effect, doesn't it? Butterfly effect, they call it, doesn't it? Yeah. What was it? Some butterfly flaps yeah, its yeah. wings in chaos. Tokyo and, and then there's an earthquake somewhere else. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, it's a chaos theory, isn't it? Yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Now, Mr. Stay, I believe there's a lot of stuff happening on social media this week. Lots of good lots news. Lots and lots of good, good, good news. Um, so uh, Kate Baker on the Academy. Um, and Kate's not been with us very long, but she's already having great success. Um, she's uh, she's read, Eek! Can't believe I'm about to type this, but Fairlight Books have been in contact this week and want to publish a short story uh, on the short story section of their website. I submitted to them in December, and it's the piece which I shared in the One Para Punch-Up last week uh, on the Academy. So we have this thing every other month where people send in one paragraph and we all talk about it and punch it up and try and make it better. So, uh, so the story began uh, first outing, and it goes live on tenth of February. February, it will be exclusively theirs. There you go, the rights, uh, <laughs> and available to read for six months. But I retain full rights and will be able to resubmit or self-publish it after that time. So that's quite common in competitions, actually, that you retain the rights to do it. Um, so she said, uh, "So this is great." She says, "Success means something different to each of us." And right now, I'm beyond excited to know that my writing has piqued the interest of a publisher with my new direction this winter of steering my writing car towards being an indie this feels right because any of the website readers who do like this story will potentially follow me on my socials which will help build the readership audience for the longer fiction to come she says with renewed confidence so this is great this is this and i had a one-to-one with kate this week because we have one-to-ones on the academy as well we were looking at her novel that she's she's finished a draft of and talking about the future kate all the all, all the little ducks are slowly getting in in line there, mm. and Kate's got a fantastic future ahead. I think she's doing everything oh, right. It's brilliant. Congratulations, Kate! And it's so lovely. You know, the the line that really jumped out for me as well, apart from the incredible success that she's having, is that success means something different to everyone. And it's yep. it's so true. Like what you know, wherever you are in your journey as a writer, you define what your next success will be. And it doesn't have to be like the Hollywood movie or the number one book. It's like you know, writing 200 words tomorrow or finishing yeah. that chapter or finishing my book. And, and, and Kate's a leading, leading light in the Academy. She's, and, and you know what, two, two, two weeks now, 
publishing academy, academates. So congratulations to all of you. It's absolutely fantastic to see it all happening. It's fantastic. And uh, on the Academy still, Sandra Hunter, she says, uh, I just got word that my science fiction poem, The Cryogenic Option, is to be published in Polar Starlight magazine. No firm date as yet other than the first half of 2022. Strangely, perhaps this whole poem is based on an extremely vivid dream. So congrats to you, Sandra, as well. That's fantastic. You know, so again, that's just- brilliant. And you know what, Mark, if there's one author who deserves massive success, it's Sandra. She has worked yeah, away yeah. at her craft, and she is a phenomenal writer as well. Um, if you check out Sandra Hunter's books on, on Amazon, she she's kind of urban fantasy, uh, and she's a brilliant writer, and she's just one of the most loveliest people you meet as well. She's she's an absolute delight. Every time I do a one-para punch-up on the Academy, she sends a para in, and I always love reading her extracts, even if some of the fantasy names are quite difficult to pronounce. I have to, <laughs> I have to do a little rehearsal beforehand, but she is terrific. She's a, she's a fantastic writer totally agree totally agree uh so yes we've got sasha green former guest on the podcast sasha green she says after being unable to write since mid-december today i finally put pen to paper and wrote nine pages in my notebook if you don't have to write every day if self-care and rest is more critical in these challenging times but never give up on writing and this is uh her response to our sort of best 200 words a day hashtag she put that on a 200 words a day hashtag i know that's helped sasha in the past so great to see that you're writing again sasha and sasha is again Again, a phenomenal writer. I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Brilliant, Sasha. Congratulations. Uh, we have a public declaration. So, so, yeah, but So this is on Twitter, Inkborn Blade. Um, so uh, Inkborn says, I feel it's well past time for a goals declaration. So here goes. In fact, you get two for the price of one. Oh. So uh, by uh, 31st of uh January 2022, which is coming up quite soon, I'll have finished my current draft. And by midnight on the 31st of July, I'll have finished my first draft of a new murder mystery crime thriller. Well, that is in the diary at Inkborn Blade. So we'll be getting in touch with you very soon to see if you've hit that first target. Brilliant. Congratulations. And if you want, you know, it's not too late. We're just starting 2022. I know it's almost the end of January. I can't quite believe it. But, 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 all that aside, if you've ever thought about doing a dream declaration, they work. They're scary, but they work. So, you know, pop us us a message. Tell us what you're going to do. You know, message us on Twitter or Facebook. Tell us what your dream declaration is. And we might mention it on the show. And if you get in Mark's diary, then you really want to be worried because he does actually write these things down. It's quite scary. Um, other than showing up at your house and knocking on your door, you might get Hello. a little prod. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Rapping on your window at midnight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, send us your dream declarations, folks. It works. And uh, something we kind of like launched many years ago. And we use it actually, interesting enough, it's now completely baked into the academy. It's like one of the very first things you have to do. But it's a safe yeah. space to do it. You know, you don't have to mention on the podcast, but brilliant stuff. So congratulations for getting that down as well. So we've got a couple of contrasts here on social media. So Kerry Williams, who is at CNHWilliams88, uh, Kerry says, I'm writing at least 200 words every day again this year with the bestseller experiment because it completely changed my writing habits in 2020. So congratulations for that, Kerry. Go for it. At the other end, so Kerry's just starting out 200 words every day. At the other end, we've got Steve Gowland, uh, who was just, he put this on our Facebook group. He says, I do love this bit. 152,000 words, 391 pages. Thank you, bestseller experiment. 
the end. And it's, it's a screen grab of his final page. And this concludes Darkness Falls, book three of The Soul's Abyss. And he's written book four, The Silent Darkness, will be released in the autumn of 2022, beginning wow. part two of The Soul's Abyss. So he's already put in his own public declarations in the back of his books. I know. That's a deadline. Tagging them on. <laughs> what a pro. So, yeah. Yeah, congratulations, fantastic. Steve. So, a, I mean, uh, he, he's Steve's been a real constant, hasn't he, throughout this podcast? Yeah, I know we've kind of like followed his journey as well, but unbelievable, unbelievable! Like, how phenomenal is that? And we salute you, sir. You are an inspiration to everyone out there. He certainly is. Go to scgowland, G-O-W-L-E-N-D dot com to find out more. Do check him out. And the thing that put the biggest smile on my face this week. And again, I'll put a link to this. Well, in the apart show from notes. Julie Walters, apart. Well, you know what? This is on a par. This is wow. on a par with Julie. Yeah, this is amazing. Um, Jan Carr on uh, on our our Facebook group. Now we talked about crowdfunding. She did a Kickstarter for a sequel, The Wonder Girls Two: The Wonder Girls Resist, which is a brilliant series set in the Second World War, and these are absolutely terrific. Um, she did a. An unboxing video, which is a thing to behold. The joy on her face. It's only, <laughs> it's like a minute long and it's just her smile and joy. And she sniffs the book, you know, so she, yeah, and she, she strokes, strokes the finishes on the cover. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'll put a link in this. Uh, do watch this folks. Cause it's the moment we all kind of live for. And, um, it's the thing that we all get excited about. So do, do check that out. Uh, um, big congratulations to you, Jan, for, for doing that. It's just amazing. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic news, Jan. And yeah, interesting. Yeah. Talking about Kickstarter, she, she successfully, yeah, she's absolutely done it crushed it. Yeah. yeah. So that was yeah, the yeah, second yeah. one because I know that there was one, there was one last year, I think, as well, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And, um- just one other thing on social media. Well, actually, it's, it's, uh, I, it's keeps cropping up on social media. You may have seen a friend of the podcast, Sam Missingham. Uh, she's been on a few times and she's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Uh, she runs a thing called The Empowered Author, which is great for marketing tips and what have you, marketing your own books. She's just launched a, a supplier's uh, thing on uh, on The Empowered Author where – I mean, the questions we get asked the most in the Academy and in the bestseller, where do I find an editor for my book? Where can I find a, a cover designer? Where can I find some to do the marketing for my book? Sam is putting together uh, a directory uh, of all of these. Uh, I'm on there as an editor. Hello. Um, but yet, and, and our friend Julian Barr is on there as an editor as well. And, you know, so if you're looking as, and, and as a particular kind of UK focus to this as well, which is quite unusual. So if you're looking for that, um, it's uh, suppliers.theempoweredauthor.com, but I'll put a link in the show notes as well. So congratulations to Sam on that. I know this has been really, uh, you know, quite an achievement to bring all this together. And it's so incredibly useful and people like sam massive positive force in the world of publishing so, yeah absolutely uh, no sam's, sam's wonderful absolutely wonderful i wonder if they have i wonder if there's agents on there mark do you know uh you know what probably, i don't know probably not yeah because i'm uh, looking for an agent i'd like to get an agent for uh, yeah. non-fiction and and also i need to get an agent for this children's book because the time's ticking need to get that rocking and roll so yeah anyone out there drop me a note love to chat (laughs) (laughs) you never know you never know what comes up in these conversations so um that's excellent mark well listen i hope you have a fantastic week this week um you know this just it's just a bit of a roller coaster 2022 um out the gate all kinds of fun things happening out in the bigger wide world but we will keep focused and enjoy the magic of writing enjoy the magic and challenges of storytelling and uh we look forward to uh welcoming you back next week for another episode of the bestseller experiment and like we said if you have any 
uh, dream declarations you'd like to share, Mark, where can they get hold of us on the socials? Yeah, drop us a line. Uh, well, first of all, go to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. Send us an email. We answer everyone. On Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. Just drop us a line and we'll get back to you ASAP. Brilliant. And if you would like to get email notifications of every episode that we do, the guests that we have and what we learned from it, plus direct links to all of the episodes, simply pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the newsletter tab, pop your email address in, and look out for a weekly kind of update as to what's coming next and what's what's happening in the world of bestseller experiment. It's a great resource actually if you just want to keep keep abreast of everything. You can also save them up if you don't get a chance to listen to the episodes every week and you can kind of go through them at your own speed as well. So join us. And we would like to also say thank you again to all of our patrons. And if you would like to join them, folks, we would very much appreciate your support with the podcast. It is simply going to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and you'll basically be able to look at all of the goodies, the extra goodies, the hundreds of hours of deep dives that you get that you won't have ever heard on this podcast. Some really incredible material there. Um, and even join our BXP team as well on Facebook, which has the most astounding list of, of authors on there and such a wonderful community, such a feel. If you're fed up with your Facebook group, you know, too much bickering <laughs> and arguing and drama. Come over to the BXP team because everyone on there says it is the loveliest place on the internet to be. Um, and that's not us saying that. That's everyone in the group. So come and check that out if you're interested. And of course, if you'd like to go even deeper, if you would like Mark and I to become your coaches and you get to chat with us and come on video and, and do coaching every month with us and all kinds of other extras, courses, etc. come and join us at the Academy. You can join today pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and we will see you on the other side so mr stay have a great week every success to you sir you too, and sir. uh keep busy you know don't slack Can't well what i did mention as well is um my new book ghost of ivy barn has gone to my editor as well so i'm waiting for feedback on that so wow it's all go it's all yeah. go many irons in the she fire likes and it. that's how it should yeah. be that's good that's good that's yeah. yeah. no, brilliant stuff absolutely brilliant alright folks have a great writing week join us at 200wordchallenge.com if you need to get your word count up and have a great week and we'll see you soon it's a goodbye from Mark 1 and a goodbye from Mark 2 goodbye, goodbye.